You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Gosh, there's about 8 billion people on the planet. And by 2050, unless something really significant changes, there'll be about 10 billion. Feeding that many people is a big deal. Herculean, it's a big, big deal. And I say it that way as a kid growing up in North Dakota and now as an adult, I knew a little bit about farming. I know a little bit more now because I'm paying a little bit more attention. And I say to myself, how's that going to work? North Dakota, part of the breadbasket of the world, the average age of a farmer is pushing 57, 58. Most of those farms don't have someone in the family that's likely going to take it over. And for a variety of reasons, it is a tough, tough job. It is an expensive way to be an entrepreneur. It is gambling like nobody else's business. However, 8 to 10 billion people got to eat, and we need to figure out a way to do that. And recently, I have become really aware of a fascinating group of young, smart people at Grand Farm that are doing amazing things with regards to the farm of the future. And I'm just so lucky to have with me today the director of Grand Farm, Brian Carroll. Brian, welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Mike. I look forward to our conversation. Well, thank you. I, I, I do, too. I appreciate you uh, being available. So, so I, bef- before I get into kind of the weeds of Grand Farm, I find your background so interesting because you've been inv- involved in launching tech projects and opportunities for most of your career, but that wasn't necessarily your focus, I don't think, when you were pursuing higher education. Am, am I right when I say that? Yeah, no, that is correct. Exactly. So, so then what happened that caused you to uh, stay, say, technology and being skilled at launching efforts and initiatives is, is for you? Well, it started really with my background. I, I started working for a company called Navtech, became the site leader. We were acquired by Nokia, and then we became here Technologies. And the thing that we were able to do is launch capabilities throughout the globe from a map building perspective. And what we noticed is that innovation is a team sport. It requires a lot of organizations, a lot of people working together. And as that career ended, and as I started to look at things more locally here in the Fargo-Moorhead area, I saw a big opportunity with ag tech. And it's really applying a framework and a way for organizations to work together, innovate, create feedback loops, and really scale the opportunities. And that's what I see as part of what we're doing right now is looking for ways in which we can really, really bring technology into the hands of the end user, but also scale that and learn from each of the collective learnings that each of the organizations have. Thanks for that explanation. Let me take you back a little bit to the team building process. Because on the surface, that sounds really, really easy, but it isn't. Because you, you have unique personalities, uh, unique skill sets. There's um, a, a lot of personal stuff that goes into the day-to-day goings-on if, for a team and its individual parts. How did you develop the skills to do that effectively? Because, again, it isn't easy, Brian. Yeah, it really starts with kind of a basic formula. The first thing that you want to do from an organizational design standpoint is look at what problems you want to solve. 
once you identify what those problems are, then what you want to do is create a structure and a system in order to bring an organizational focus to it. Then once you define that, and in this case it's an innovation platform, then you start to bring in the right pieces in order to execute against that. And so it really comes down to solving the problems. What do you want to solve? What are the functions that you want to bring into the organization? And then bringing the people with the right skill sets in order to do that. And making sure that you're iterating with the end user all the way along because that feedback loop that comes back into it helps inform how you're approaching the work. I'll go to Grand Farm in a second. When you were the Director of Advanced Engineering and Launch, AEL, lots of acronyms nowadays, yeah, uh, which was at one point in time NavTech and then Here Technologies. I'm not sure how that merger took place, and m- maybe you want to explain that. You uh, you were pretty familiar with the planet. You you traveled quite a bit, la- launching uh, teams effectively. To share with me a little bit about th- that process, your travels, uh, building teams uh, abroad and here and. Than the the merge or acquisition of Navtech and and Here Technologies. Yeah, so Navtech started, and our focus was building mapping platforms for in-car navigation. We were sold to a huge, you know, cell phone company called Nokia, in which they had a worldview in terms of bringing mapping technology throughout their footprint, which was basically the whole world. And then once that ended, we became part of this car consortium called Here Technologies, in which the car companies came together, and they really wanted to have that mapping asset. And so where I got involved is in Fargo, we were the map creation organization. And what we quickly realized is that we need to bring technology into the map making and we need to look at ways in which we can develop the maps, especially where the different sources are. So we put together mapping organizations in Europe, in the Middle East, into Africa. And what our team did is help scale those processes together. And so we brought a lot of technology in. We did things at a small scale, proof of concept. Once we proved that, then we would develop large production capabilities in India, Mexico, and also in Eastern Europe as well. And so that's what the team was designed for, is to be the thinking arm of the organization, think about what the mapping tools would need to look like, and then how do you scale that into production centers around the world in order to bring the mapping into it. And if you think about the applications that you we use right now and take for granted, it is the global map. It's the digital maps that are out there that are in cell phones, they're in cars, they're on the web. And to be able to get to that point where we had global coverage is what we were able to do here in our location. So did you collaborate with OnStar and other partners? Because you Yeah, had- bringing back some great memories. Yeah, so OnStar was one of our first partners with GM. MapQuest, in fact, Chris Hivey, I've met him at an event a couple of years ago. And, you know, that was at the time, I used to say I used to work for MapQuest because everyone understood what MapQuest was, but it was really the NavTech database that was powering that. And so our goal at that time, really simple enough, is to create a world in which people did not have to fold maps. If you remember those big maps that we had in the car, we wanted to eliminate that as a pain point, and we did. And it's interesting to see how the mapping industry has taken place, location-based services. It is now almost in every single function, and even in the Grand Farm, having location-based services is critical and key to the world that we live in. The virtual world is really powered by that map. It is. I'm chuckling because I've had conversations as of late with friends that, either for for business uh, or pleasure, have traveled extensively. Guys like Jay Shuler, for example, or Howard yep. Dahl, who for business purposes 30, 35 years ago, and even 40, were traveling to Ukraine, Russia, all sorts of places on the globe without GPS, without cell phones. And it's fascinating to listen to them reflect on what it was like to travel <laughs> when you didn't have any of that technology. So uh, thank you for doing what you did, Brian, because it sure makes it a lot easier for all of us today. Okay, Grand Farm, I, I think we met at the DisruptWell uh, Technology Conference in Bismarck, which my wife and I and a couple others 
co-founded. And I think you came over with Greg Tavine, maybe to the first one. That's where I first met you. So that's better than five years ago, four years ago, when Grand Farm was really just starting to take shape. Fast forward to today, just a week and a half, two weeks ago, Senate, U.S. Senator John Hoven made this incredible announcement that there's a million dollar appropriations for this team of NDSU, Grand Farm, and USDA to collaborate on uh, developing research development and educational opportunities in Grand Farm. That had to have been an exciting day for you and the team, Brian. Yeah, it was a, an exciting day, and it was really kind of like a, an extension of all the wonderful partnerships that we've been able to develop. And now with these partnerships, there's a whole host of opportunities that are starting to make its way, and that was a perfect example of that along with others as well. Mm. So from when I met you four-plus years ago to, to today and that announcement just a week and a half ago, what are some of the growing pains that you and the team went through to establish this concept, this idea, this vision, to where it's really starting to take shape? And then eventually I'm going to ask you, when you envision the farm of the future in 2025 and beyond, where you're at today and where you're going, how you see that unraveling. But take us back to four years ago and some of the steps you took to get to that announcement yeah. a week and a half ago. Yeah, so it's really fun. I mean, four years ago, our our kind of our inspiration, Barry Batchelor, literally challenged our community. He said every community should declare its major. And what would our major be if we were to declare that to the world? And so what we did is we thought about that and was like, okay, it's got to be something in ag tech. But if we're going to do it in ag tech, what are we trying to solve? You know, what are the big problem sets that are out there that we can make a big impact on? And so what we did is we did some research. The first one, which you talked about right in the beginning, is 10 billion people on the planet Earth by 2050. We need to become much more efficient and effective with that. The second one that we really got interested in is there's a general lack of venture capital, especially in the Midwest, specifically in North Dakota, in order to attract capital, we have to be able to have great startups, but we need to find ways in which we can create easier access for it. The third one is I worked for a company, Navtech, Nokia, here Technologies for 22 years. We constantly need to upscale our workforce there. Technology is always changing. So we identified the third challenge as upscaling the workforce. The fourth one is the average age of the grower is getting older. The farms are getting larger, and we need to create more efficiencies around that, especially with the tighter windows of operations. And the fifth and final one that we identified was farm safety. It's still a very dirty, dangerous, and dull job in which there could be ways in which there could be ways to automate things and make it more effective and really bring a safety factor into it. So we took those five challenges and what we did is we developed a program four years ago in order to address each of those. First and foremost, Mike, was the ecosystem. Let's bring an ecosystem approach to it, bring organizations together, thought leaders. We do a lot of programming, whether it's Cultivate, our Space Egg Conference, Prairie Capital Summit, which we're doing actually tomorrow. These are all designed to bring folks together. The second one that we identified is an innovation platform, the ability for organizations, large companies, small companies, startups, universities, and growers to work together in a collaborative way. Try to find ways in which we can source problems into that, create projects around it, and create a series of innovation loops around it. The third one that we focused on was the farm itself, the physical farm, a place where people can come, they can be inspired by the future, but they can work in a collaborative way. The fourth one is upskilling the workforce, educational opportunities around that, and look for ways to get people excited about agriculture in the future and see a role in agriculture, but this time with more of a technical lens around it in terms of what the jobs of the future would look like. And the fifth one that we really focused on was around policy, the role of the private and the public sector working together in a collaborative way in order to advance ways in which we can adopt technology in a much more efficient and friendly way. So that's what we did. We took those five challenges. We paired it with really five strategies around it, developed a huge roadmap around it, and then started to execute against it. Hmm. I want to go to the average age of the producer grower, the farmer. 
57, somewhere in there. And, and by the way, before we end our discussion, you should share a little bit about Barry Batchelor. When he says something, it's usually pretty important because of his background. Yeah. We might want to yeah. share with that, his background a little bit. If I think, Brian, we had a brief discussion ab about this when we met in Bismarck. At that time, it was Blue River, and I think they are now owned by John Deere. And, and yeah. Blue River is about 10, 11 years ago, I think, a couple guys, can't remember where they went to school, they were really interested in robotics and machine learning and ag equipment. And they, I think, if I'm, and if I'm saying this wrong, please correct me, they, they formed uh, this attachment to you know, uh, a tractor for seeing and spraying, to see and spray machine. Um, and if, again, if I recall, they, they pump like millions of pictures of weeds and plants into the machine learning device uh, on, on the apparatus so that it could tell with a camera, see and spray, the difference between a weed and the plant and then spray, spray the right amount of application to the weed to kill it. So that, that's, that's a perfect example, I think, of the types of things Grand Farm is most interested in when it comes to helping the producer, the farmer, and then feed the planet. So did I describe that fairly correctly? And then t share with us some of the like developments that you're working on at Grand Farm. Yeah, and, and Mike, that's exactly the essence. What we want to be able to do is source the pain points, and you want to source the pain points from the grower. So the first thing that we did is we started listening to our growers, and we put together a report, over 30 pain points that were identified from a grower's perspective. And then what we do is we start matching those pain points with different technology providers, whether it's an organization or whether it's a startup, and then we encourage projects or development around that. A great example is there's this company out of California called Bazan Motors. They developed a technology around an autonomous truck that's electrified. They took that grower pain point report and they started to design their technology around some of that feedback. Now they're moving from California and they'll be on the Grand Farm mainly for two reasons. One is they see a ton of use cases that their technology can be used, especially on the on-farm experience. And number two, they need that feedback. They need to be able to develop technology that's not looking for the problem, but developing technology that's actually solving problems. And that's where we in this region, in North Dakota, on the Grand Farm, have such an advantage. We understand through our domain expertise what the different challenges are. Then when you start to marriage that with technology and different technology platforms, we have a chance to be an integration partner in order to have that technology address real pain points from a grower perspective. And that's what we're trying to do with the farm is develop these feedback loops. We want corporates to talk to startups, startups to talk to growers, growers to talk to universities. And then you start to create this network, this energy around that. And now you're in a position right now where you can develop projects, you can develop technology that is really addressing issues that are key and central from a grower perspective. Mm -hmm. You can't necessarily do that in other parts of the country. You need to do that where the domain expertise is. And that's what we have in this region. And we're just building off of what's already happened. And we're being additive. That's where North Dakota State University comes into play. University of North Dakota, University of Crookston, Bismarck State College, all these organizations, Wapiton, we have all these capabilities that are out there that have been designed to really develop this ecosystem. And what we can do within the farm is the connect other organizations to the existing organizations and create opportunities and values for them. Here's what I just heard. And I'll use this analogy, Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk is competing against the biggest automobile manufacturers on the planet. But he had a head start. And um, Sharp, sharp guy, runs a great company. But the goal isn't just electrified transportation. The goal is how do we eventually provide more autonomous transportation opportunities for a population that badly needs it. And someone that goes up in North Dakota 
knows how much it would be a, a welcome welcome um, joy to have autonomous transportation if you have to go from Fargo to Bismarck on a regular basis. But here's where Elon Musk is leaps and leap years ahead of everybody else. He's been gathering data since day one. And that's that's really what you just said. You, you, you're talking about pain points and this, all yeah. of that. It's all about gathering data to make good decisions, to make those incremental changes that will benefit growers and your partners. Did I say that fairly correctly? Exactly, exactly. Hmm. And in order to do that, you need to have an open platform in which data can be shared, which it can contribute, where people have access to it. And you don't want to have one organization that controls all the data. You want to have an open location, open data platform, and the ability for multiple organizations to work together to collaborate and not be beholden to one organization to apply that uh, that training mm-hmm. data. And that's what we want the farm to be, is an open platform in which that collaboration can occur and people can develop technology solutions on top of that with a real insight in terms of where the pain points are. You said uh, 30 pain points. How long did it take to gather them, properly identify them, and then, you know, everything changes? How will some of those change as conditions change and as Grand Farm moves forward? Yeah, so this was literally the first thing that we did our first year on the Grand Farm is we brought people together And what we did is listened. And so we brought them together. We listened to the different pain points. And then we started to hear themes. And once we started to hear themes, then we started to document those and then to be able to record that. And so now as we evolve the Grand Farm, what we've done is we've created a grower advisory panel. And so this is a panel that's devised of 10 growers uh, that have different uh, perspectives that they bring in. And we'll be now developing our second generation of our pain point report in which we'll start to go into other areas as well and then partner with some of our partners. When we first did our first partner or pain point report, we only had maybe three or four partners. Now we have about 70 partners. And so we're now able to get into different insights. The report's going to be much more robust with different insights from our partners, but also from the growers. And what we want to do is open source it. We want this information to be available to anyone that wants to solve these different pain points and encourage them to partner with us or one of our partners in order to do that into the farm. So the pain point report is always going to be an open report, one that's always going to evolve, is going to evolve, especially with the perspectives that, you know, we start to get, especially as our network grows and gets larger. I was at the Autonomous Nation uh, event, wonderfully orchestrated, by the way, and went out to Grand Farm to watch the demonstrations. It was fascinating to me to watch adults hang around and watch just like a a little kid at uh, Toyland or a a little kid in a candy store. It it was fascinating to watch adults watch all the demonstrations that were taking place uh, out at Grand Farm. How, How do you use Grand Farm and the the actual footprint um, beyond the Autonomous Nation Day? How do you use that to invite people out and do you on a regular basis so they can see the progress? Yeah. And so I was so glad you were able to be there because that's what the future will look like. And so we're going to build this innovation facility. It's going to be in Castleton, 140 acres. And the whole design around it is kind of patterned after Walt Disney. And what he did with the Epcot Center, experimental prototype community of tomorrow, we want to place, replace community with farm. And what we want to do is we want it to serve three needs. One is inspire a generation of farmers and growers about what agriculture will look like, fall in love with the pain points, but also look for ways in which technology can enable. The second one is we want organizations, whether it's corporate, startups, universities, and the growers to create this innovation platform so that project can take place and they can they can be done in a collaborative way. And the third one is we need a space, a space where people can come out and see that technology, be comfortable with it, because there's going to be a challenge, especially as we start talking about some of the challenges with technology, is we're 
we're going to have to be able to adapt to it and adopt into technology, but you want to do it in a safe way. You want to do it before you actually purchase it, before you acquire it, before you even have those big questions answered as well, and be able to do it in a safe environment in which a lot of testing and prototyping can happen before you scale that, before you make the decision to make the purchase or really understand what that is. And so that's what the farm will look like in the future is designed around those three use cases, education, collaboration, and and then educating the end user Mm -hmm. as well. The, with the average age of the producer, some around 57, 58, I, I, I heard that from someone, and I've never gone out to verify and validate that, but I'm assuming that's fairly correct. And the number of producers going down and the size of the farm going up. The, um, it, the ability to increase incorporate new technology into your farm operation, obviously very, very important. I would imagine that some of it is going to be um, how easily incorporated it is into the current operation. So I'm going to assume that a lot of the research that you do in terms of actual application of technology is to make it as user-friendly as possible. Maybe that's a no-brainer kind of statement, but I'm assuming that's one of the goals. It is. And, and, and one, of the, one of the things that you know, we could provide some strong value is these technology companies are wonderful in terms of what they can provide, but they need to understand it from a user experience perspective and to be able to bridge that gap between the technology and the end user in order for that feedback to become iterative within that is going to help with the adoption of technology around it. And a lot of times these companies do a great job but they don't quite understand how it applies to the end user. There's a lot of assumptions that are being made and you lose cycles of innovation around that. And so to be able to do that onto the farm in which they can learn in near real time how the end user is going to use that technology is going to be incredibly valuable. And then for the grower perspective, to be able to get a product that works, that uses a, an opportunity for it to actually show results and solves the problem they want it to happen and to understand that before they have to make a purchasing decision uh, could be extremely useful as well. Also, we want the grower to be part of the innovation as well. If they're going to provide data for the innovation, feedback for it, there could be an opportunity for them to get involved with the company. Maybe there could be an equity stake that goes into it. There's different models that are out there that serve those different use cases, and we're interested in bringing as much value to the grower as we can. And I think the first one is to make sure that the technology works and it does what it's supposed to do and then provide that Mm -hmm. feedback. And therein lies the great opportunity with the senator's announcement with regards to the million-dollar appropriations where – Half, I that's not the correct way to say it, but that's for research, development, and educational opportunities. And so working on the research and the application of it and the educational opportunities is kind of like the, the Disney theme. It, it, that's how I'm yeah. seeing it in my head, where you've got the best of both worlds with the, the senator's announcement. Yeah, I mean, I look at like North Dakota State University. They have a great football team, but they have a world-renowned agricultural team, right? They have some of the smartest and brightest minds. And our ability to connect them more closely related to companies and also the end user will help the adoption of their research into a commercialized product and it can create an ecosystem. And so they already have those capabilities, but the way in which we within our relationship with the Grand Farm can speed up those connections and make it easier, make it almost more organic, an ecosystem type of approach can really help really bring solutions into a commercialized product into the market in a much faster rate. And that's what that announcement meant for us. It brings us together in a meaningful way. We have projects now that we're designed for, and we're going to have shared accountabilities across the three organizations, the USD, NDSU, and also the Grand Farm. And we can start to energize ourselves around those types of activities. And I see this as a stepping stone that's going to move us in a much more direct alignment with our partners within the Mm -hmm. ecosystem. I'm going to paraphrase what I heard at Autonomous Nation and then let you kind of run with it, where I just kind of got goosebumps. 
in part because of my involvement with establishing and organizing the Disrupt Well Summit, the Emerging Technology Summit over in Bismarck. So I heard from the head of engineering, the dean of engineering at NDSU, somebody from Microsoft, um, a couple of other partners. I was hearing them talk, oh, including the DOT director who just announced yeah. that uh, he's retiring to move back to California with his family, Director Panos. I heard all of this chatter about the ongoing studies and research and projects regarding autonomous systems for not just for transportation on a highway, but also for implementation on the farm, ag uh, agriculture, if you will. That really got me excited, Brian, because that, I'm hearing that this is happening a lot faster than some of us might realize. Is that an yeah. accurate way to say it? It is. And, and just think about this for a second. Think about the leadership that we have in the state of North Dakota, starting, to, starting with Senator Hoven, Governor Burgum, Senator Kramer, you know, Mayor Mahoney here in Fargo, you know, think about that. And then think about the giants that we have. We have Microsoft, a meaningful presence. You know, they have made commitments to our community. We have Bobcat. We have John Deere. Then you have North Dakota State University, University of North Dakota, amazing facilities around that. And we all have opportunities to collaborate and solve real problems around that. And when you start to do that and you start to identify what your major is, you start to identify the different pain points that you want, and then you start moving in the same direction with all the all the ecosystem partners around it, there really isn't anything that we can't do. And that's what puts me in a position of great privilege in which I get to work with each of these different organizations. I'm working with so many smart, intelligent, motivated folks. And now we're starting to define things that we want to work on in a, an aligned fashion. And we're going to solve problems. We're going to make a big impact. And we're going to get back to what Barry Batchelor originally said. What is our major? Well, it's ag tech, high precision ag tech. We can do that. We have all these systems in place right now. It's a matter of taking as much friction out of the system as possible and launching and scaling and being excited about it. <laughs> And guess what? People are going to come here, but more importantly, people are going to stay here because they're going to see opportunities in agriculture that they have never seen before, right? They're going to start to connect high tech with agriculture. They're going to see the jobs of the future, and they're going to be able to address pain points that they're most familiar with because we all come from an agricultural background. Hmm. The perfect Petri dish for working on technology to solve problems and provide opportunities in the ag space is right here in North Dakota and specifically here in the Red River Valley. And so as I say that, Petri dish, because we have the land, we have the producers, we have the partners, we have these great leaders that came before us, the Howard Dahls, the Jay Schulers, the Ron Offutts, and Barry Batcher. That's, that's, that's my segue to go back to, you probably should share with people who Barry Batchelor is. And when he says something, it's usually pretty important. Tell us a little bit it about is. Barry. Well, he's the inspiration. So, you know, Barry started off, if you know his backstory, New York kid, settled at North Dakota State University, wanted to have a career in the space industry, married a loco, uh, started with a company that we're all familiar with, Steiger Tractor, helped put the computer chip on there, computerized, you know, mechanized equipment. Then started a company called Phoenix International, got acquired by John Deere. Then started a company called Apario. They just got purchased by Echo. So he's a serial entrepreneur, someone that has a legacy of identifying the problem and then creating a solution around that and building amazing teams around it. And so he's the inspiration around it. And as he talks about the future and the role of technology, especially addressing some of these pain points that we talked about, any industry that can be automated, you know, 
can bring a safety component to it. It can bring a scale to it as well. He sees those as opportunities. And so that vision is what got us started. And really, at the end of the day, we all fall in love with the problem. What are we trying to solve and how we bring people together and then leverage the resources that we have within the region? And that's really what Barry has meant to us on the Grand Farm is that inspirational figure, someone that's done it before, showing how it's been done but also a way in which we can address problems and challenges that we have um, moving forward in the future as well. Mm. By the way, before I forget, the other thing that was so exciting for me, well, there's a number of them, at Autonomous Nation, <laughs> what I think it's the first, other than when I had Marlo Anderson, you know Marlo, on my yep. podcast, and we were talking about technology. And we we're talking about ev tolls, and here here we are. We're we're at, in the Microsoft campus at Autonomous Nation. Don't remember who the speaker was, but they're talking about ev tolls, electric vehicle takeoff and landings. And I, when and when I've talked to other people about that, they look at me like you're nuts. I, no, this the Jetsons is the, it's this close. Um, yeah. So thank you for having me get a little giddy over. The the agenda that day. Did you, did were you instrumental? I'm assuming in putting together that agenda because it was a great day. By the way, it was a wonderful day. Well, and and again, what we're doing is holy smokes, we got the Northern Plains test site. You know, so we have opportunities to bring content in through that partnership. University of North Dakota with what they have bringing content through that program. North Dakota State University. So really. It's basically working with our partners, identifying things that are really relevant, and then giving them a platform and a stage in order for them to discuss and talk and engage with folks. Mm. And that is the the story, really, of the Grant Farm. It's a platform that brings the best together within our region and mobilizes a focus in which we can, you know, do things that that one organization can't do, but you have to do it in a collaborative way. On the Grand Farm and its Grand Farm dot com or grandfarm.org dot com grandfarm.com yep. there's a reference to the farm of the future and even a little paragraph that talks about the year 2025 I you know I've, I've said this probably 20 times during the course of all my podcasts there isn't in my mind a more important entrepreneur than someone that's in, in involved in farming, because if they're they're not doing what they're doing, I'm starving because I, I can't grow much of anything. And the farm has been uh, ever changing. There, there's a lot of technology uh, on on farms, and sometimes, the, just like any other entrepreneurial uh, enterprise, you have to factor in the costs of implementing or, or you know inserting something into your operation. Where, where do you see the most significant opportunities for that farm of the future by year 2025 or, or even beyond that? Where, where do you think the most significant opportunities will fall? Yeah, I think there's two things that we're seeing right now is the role of data in precision. And so if you think about it, we can be much more precise. It's almost becoming like a money ball for agriculture, where you can now be very selective in terms of where you put uh, different uh, different seeds, applications onto the field. You don't need to do kind of a peanut butter approach. You can be much more specific around it. And the second one is when you start looking at autonomous systems, as they start to interact, the size of the equipment will start to come down. And over time, the price points will start to come down as well. And you'll be able to extend your operating hours. Uh, you won't be constrained based off of daylight. Um, you won't be constrained based off of size as well. You can have also redundant things as well. And so what I get excited about is the role of data in terms of how we can become much more precise. But also the economics of agriculture will start to come down, especially as the systems become more interconnected and the size becomes smaller and become more, more multifaceted as well. And what that means is there could be new people entering into agriculture. I have 100 acres of farmland that I um, help farm with my brother-in-law in southern Minnesota. 
The reason I can do that is because my father-in-law has all the equipment, right? There's no way I could actually acquire that and purchase that. But because he has those already in place, I can start to do work around that. And I see that as an opportunity, especially as the size of the equipment and the economics of it start to change, especially through automation and having redundancies into the systems as well. Hmm. You just made me think about uh, a news story I saw shortly after Autonomous Nation, frankly. A uh, young fellow, 17 or 18 years old, over in Kent, Minnesota, that he wants to be a farmer. He helps other people on their, their farms. He saves his money. He's buying little pieces of equipment. People call, tell him he's crazy, which I wish people would never do that, never be a dream stealer. But I thought to, the, thought, thought to myself, that young man is in the perfect place. He can tap into expertise, knowledge, relationships, mentors through Grand Farm or, or whatever. He is, I can't think of a better place for that young man to be than right here. Yeah, exactly. When, when you visit with your girl partners, I'm, that's how I'll say that for now, it, it, is that average age correct, 57? And how do you see pulling in uh, that younger generation where it might be 40 or 45, maybe not a 25-year-old. But how do you see that uh, playing out, Brian? Well, I think there's two things. You know, our grower advisory board is designed for us to create a meaningful network with the growers. And through those partnerships is where we want to meet growers kind of on their terms. So I think over time, the Grand Farm and the team itself are going to have to be in these communities and interfacing with with people that are uh, growers more directly. And so we have like strategies that are in place in order to create these innovation corridors, find partners in other parts of the state, other parts of the country in which we can start to bring this connection of grower feedback into the innovation. And what's interesting, Mike, is there's technology that's everywhere, but especially in agriculture, a lot of time it's geographically constrained. So there might be a great piece of technology that works in California, but dials that work with the row crops here in North Dakota. Those are things that we can be helpful with. There's organizations that can start to adapt their technology to fit the specific use cases around that. In order for us to truly be effective around that, we need to create that network. But we also have to have a grower perspective in each of these different areas as well and leverage that knowledge into, into the innovation. When, when you're looking at the ag products we produce, and we're number one, two, or three in so many of them, you know, whether it's wheat, canola, beets, potatoes, beans, I could I could go on. Are are you actively working on solutions when you call those pain points? Are those thirty pain points broken out into all those ag products I just referenced and then some? Not not in a direct way, but I'll give you an example. One of the projects that we're working on is called traceability. We call it harvest trace. And what we're trying to do and what we're doing is we're tracing a soybean all the way through the supply chain. And so we're connecting the grower with the consumer. And what we're finding is that the consumer is starting to make demands and expectations in terms of where the soybean is produced, how it's being produced, mm. what are the different farm practices are. Once you create that connection between the end user and the consumer back to the grower, the grower can actually get a benefit from the practices that they have. And this is where North Dakota really is in a strong position because if you take a market like in the UK, they have certain expectations in terms of their food sources. We have great traceability. We have great companies like SBMB that, that are out there right now that are producing high-value products, and people are willing to pay a premium for it. And to be able to do that through technology and create that traceability, we have an opportunity to be really impactful here. A good example of that is um, is like the Japanese market. We're going to go on a trade mission with the governor here in a couple of weeks. They're really interested in where the food is originating from and what's being done on that on that on that field. Well, we have abilities, right? We have technology. We can be able to verify that in a very confident way in which the market and the consumer will be able to pay a premium for it. And then that value comes back to our growers as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so by being number one in all these commodities, but not just being number one in the commodities, but in terms of our farm practices, in terms of what we're doing, we'll be able to distinguish ourselves from other markets that are out there just because of who we are, because of what we do, and, and really how we do it. You just made me think of a meeting I had a number of years ago when a fellow from South Korea whose job was acquiring all the beef for all the restaurants in Seoul, Korea, in South Korea. I had a chance to visit with him, and here's what I learned. The, um, when you have a country that neighbors you, and this is the case for Japan as well, that doesn't like you very much, Food security and traceability is a big, big deal. And for this guy, he's the third generation in his family where that's his sole responsibility. And they were looking at places to, um, you know, slaughter, slaughter, put in slaughterhouses in in North America. So I understand completely what what you just said. I'm going to ask you a magic wand question. If you, if you had a magic wand, you could wave over the heads of everybody that's hearing about Grand Farm, but they might not have some of the information that I had, for example. I, I got to go to Autonomous Nation. I've gotten to know you. I know Greg. I've, I go to the website. Um, what's the one thing you want them to know about Grand Farm's role and the farm of the future in 2025 or beyond? What's the one thing you really want them to know? I think the, the, the biggest thing is the Grand Farm is designed to be an open platform. And that platform is designed around some of the great companies, you know, whether it's universities like North Dakota State University, CHS, Lando Lakes, you know, what we have here in that region. And what we're doing within the Grand Farm is using this network to create projects, feedback loops, to advance technology in order to quickly ramp up productivity and efficiency around it. So the farm is designed in order to build off the strength of our region and really sharpen the focus into areas in which we can be most impactful for. The Grand Farm wouldn't exist if we didn't have these organizations within our community and it exists because we have them and we're in a position right now where we can mobilize an ecosystem, apply focus, sharpen that focus and address problems that relate to the end user and in this case it's the grower and the advanced technology around that. And we can do that in this region. That's why we're declaring it as our major. And I don't think there's really any other community in the world that has all the things that we have within this region. I mean, we're already recognized as the leaders in agriculture. And I believe this is our birthright. And the reason why we exist is to feed the world and feed the world through enabling technology. Mm-hmm. Brian, when you were a freshman or sophomore at Shanley High School, if somebody would have told you, Brian, um, here's what you're going to be doing in 2022. You're, you're going to be working with a bunch of young entrepreneurs. They're going to change the ag industry by implementing all sorts of innovations and inserting technology like a, autonomous driving tractors and drones and uh, attachments that can see and spray and kill weeds really effectively without harming the plant. What do you think you would have said as a freshman or sophomore at Shanley? Boy, I tell you what, I probably would be confused, first of all, but there'd be something inside of me that would have really got excited. And I just remember as a sophomore in high school, I spent my entire Christmas vacation working on a program through my Apple IIc in which I was like, wow, this computing power that we have, the ability to create software, solve potential problems out there, excited me back then. And now to think that we're solving problems that have a global impact, food scarcity, food production, would have really excited me. I probably wouldn't know what we were talking about, but something about it would have excited me at that time. Helping people plan, optimize, and launch initiatives. That's what you did when you were with Navtech and then here Technologies, and this is what you're doing now? You're doing the exact same thing. Exactly, and it, it works for agriculture, but guess what? It works for other problems as well. 
Let's do a grand ranch, right? <laughs> let's do a grand. Let's let, we can we can pattern all these things around it because the formula works, right? It's about creating an ecosystem, bringing people together, sharpening that focus, providing a framework, and getting excited about solving problems. And you do that with a smile on your face. It's amazing how many people will come to the table. By the way, I think since we're going back to the Disney theme, I think between what you're going to end up establishing at Grand Farm. And what Don is doing with his ranch out uh, south of Bismarck, you, th- yep. that's the perfect, perfect um, weekend getaway for people. You start in Fargo and go to Castleton, go to the Grand Farm, get uh, a boatload of technology information, maybe have a nice meal. And then you go to Don's and you, you, you suck up all that. I, I, I saw his TEDx talk and I thought, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the last thing you want people to know about you and Grand Farm, Brian? Well, so the Grand Farm, you know, around innovation is designed around partnership, right? And it's a, do- a design around participation. And so that's the first thing that we do is we get, we fall in love with the problem. We mobilize a project. And if we do those things well and we provide value, then we will be supported. So if you want to get involved with the Grand Farm, just count yourself in. Come to our events. Think about different projects that could be you know, out there. Let's get started. And guess what? There's a lot of people that will be interested like us uh, around that. And it's just a matter of counting yourself in and being involved. And what we do is we create an ecosystem, an ecosystem that is designed in order to support each other. So you want people to go to grandfarm.com. Can they email you? Would you would you be willing to yeah, share? Yeah, email me at brianc at Emerging Prairie. Um, and we got events every week. We got something going on. Just come down to the Prairie Den here in downtown Fargo. Uh, all it takes is a, a, a cup of coffee, and we can give you the whole inside scoop. Well, there you go. I'll put all that stuff on mikeshimmery.com, but it's Brian C at emergingprairie.com. The website is grandfarm.com. And here's one thing, you can put this in the bank. It won't take five years. But between now and five years from now, between the work that's been done the last five, the announcement of that incredibly important appropriations and that partnership between NDSU, USDA, and Grand Farm with regard to the research development and the educational opportunities, and the fact that I'm thinking most of you are probably like me. You farm, you hunt, and you fish in a grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) And so you you need these folks badly if you want to maintain that policy, unless you want to get your own farm, and then good luck with you. But there you go. By by the way, I, I also have to say that when in your previous career, you, you worked with some of the biggest firms on the planet, Deloitte, Amazon, Audi, Ford. Um, so they got a good one in Brian Carroll, I think. <laughs> yeah, and it's just fun to bring this perspective into agriculture. It's just been a blast. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on Mike Seminar and th- Friends. Th- and thank you for what you're doing at Grand Farm. Uh, That is a game changer for our region and the entire ag industry. This is exciting, and I'm going to have you on on a regular basis, once a year maybe. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Brian. You have a great day. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it.